Thank you for the opportunity to speak with you for a few minutes and then show you the Rutherford Institute's new film, Religious Apartheid. Each of you here probably agree that something is going on in our country. Some of you may understand it to be a culture war primarily between the older values and the values of the so-called 60s children. Some of you may understand it to be an era of transition from a Christian nation to a more cosmopolitan, multicultural nation tolerant of pretty much anything. Some of you no doubt believe that every generation has its devils and will re, uh, that seem almost completely overwhelming at the time, and then thus you may reject right offhand the possi any possibility of there being religious apartheid in our country. But what's going on in our country is more than any of these. In America today, the Christian touchstone of truth, the basis for judgment, has been rejected. There's no longer a basis for challenging institutional tyrannies in the compulsory society in which we live. So today the big picture really is religious apartheid, and that's the message of my book and the new film, which you'll see in just a moment. Religious apartheid is underway in our country, and the process is very near completion. Some of you here, your first reaction to this film may be shock or surprise. Others of you might find it disturbing, and some of you may even disagree with it. I can already predict what some of you might find disturbing. First, there's a sequence in this film about the state taking over a family right in their own home. Agents under the state, under the guise of child welfare, come right into a family's home and inspect it all the way down to the milk being given to the children. After the inspection, the mother is sent off to an office, the baby is taken away in a police car, and the other three children are sent away on a padlocked school bus, and the father sits on a curb trying to figure out exactly what's happened to his family and his country. When we were making this film, this sequence seemed like a rather dramatic way to show the demise of the traditional family at the hands of the government. But in less than one year after making this movie, the Rutherford Institute has been nearly overwhelmed with cases where the government is either ignoring or annihilating the rights of parents and families across this country. And I'm talking about Christian parents and families. Uh, so today, this family sequence you're about to see is understated. Now, let me share with you a, a case, and we got lots, lots of these cases, but let me give you one case that really illustrates what I'm talking about. In New York, in a case that we're in federal court right now fighting, a family came under attack by the Department of Social Services. The father works for AT&T. The mother is a graduate of Harvard University and the NYU Law School. They homeschool their four children. The Social Services Department received an anonymous telephone call that one of the children had bad breath, another had rotten teeth, there were bruises on one child's leg, and another child had been spanked. The social services department called this family and said they could expect a visit from the state and their agents. Two investigators came to the home at 9.45 p.m. at night. The father refused to let these agents into his apartment or view the children, but agreed to come outside and talk to the state social services agents in the lobby. The investigators called their supervisor, and soon two police officers arrived. These two police officers called their precinct sergeant, and then there were six more police officers there. Soon, a SWAT team arrived, and two medical emergency units arrived at this family's apartment. At that point, the father obviously felt he had no option but to allow these agents to view the children. Even after seeing the children, the investigators insisted on disrobing the children and searching the apartment. Fortunately, the police were smart enough to back off of this issue, but the social services department returned the next night after the father again asserted his constitutional rights. The social services department then began interrogating everyone entering and leaving this building, this apartment building, about this family, trying to find out some information on them. Another sequence that you might find disturbing in this film is where a father in the 
family sequence is forcibly brainwashed with the terms love, choice, diversity, and tolerance. This somewhat lengthy sequence in the film is intended to make you feel just for a moment like the people in America's workplaces, their jobs, the schools, who are subjected to the unrelenting demands of political correctness and sensitivity training sessions today. When you start to shift and squirm in your seat and you're saying this part of the film is too long, you will have gotten our message. And finally, this film has some disturbing, disturbing images in it that show what I believe to be a bleak and frightening picture for our country. Hitler's Germany is used as an analogy in order to show you the dire consequences of mind control, the, re the repression of free speech, and the, even the forcible political and social repression which we see today. This film is shot in postmodern style that's been used in many current advertisements and most of your major movies today. Using jump cuts, whirling pan shots, jerky camera movements, off-center and out-of-focus composition, transitions from color to black and white, the message is constantly reinforced that our culture is disoriented and fragmented. The camera sometimes is set at an angle to show you the skewed mindset that's operating in our country. Now, my hope is that you'll have an accurate response to this film, that it will make you leave this room, each and every one of you, dedicated to doing something about the condition our country's in and the religious apartheid that we face. I can't do the job alone. It's going to take you, and you're the future students of America. If we fail to stop religious apartheid, persecution will inevitably follow. It, it's already begun. Already, pro-lifers are faced with criminal charges and jail time for simply teaching their children at home. Already, public school students are placed in physical detention for simply praying over their school lunch or for wearing a pro-life t-shirt to school. Already, people are losing their jobs for refusing to endorse homosexuality as a moral lifestyle choice. The Rutherford Institute is handling every one of these cases in my book of the same title is thoroughly documented to uh, underlie all the premises of this film. Now, I hope that e each and every one of you here will hear the message of religious apartheid in the spirit in which it's in intended. And after the t film, if I have time, I will answer your questions. Now the film. Thank you. Students. Students. Comments. I had a question, though. No. Any questions? Somebody's got a question out there. I know you do. Shoot. Speak up. Well, I didn't say that. If you listen to the film carefully, the film uh, doesn't advocate that. What it says is there may come a time when those things may have to be practiced. Uh, there have been instances in the past where people didn't have moral courage. You can go right to Nazi Germany, which is a really good example, when... Uh, the, the Jews were being gassed. And if you've seen, how many people have seen Schindler's List? Great film. I mean, it, 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 it took an industrialist to fight that. Um, a lot of Christians were in hiding. They were caring about their business. See, the thing you have to remember about society is that it may all appear to be normal, but it's not. When they were ga gassing the Jews in Auschwitz, for example, uh, the bakeries were operating around the community. The churches were open. People were going to church. And the Jews are being killed 10 miles away. Um, a good analogy is modern-day America where, uh, in this community, I don't know where, but there are probably oper uh, abortion clinics operating just as freely as if no one cared. Now, I think people should care because uh, innocent lives being destroyed uh, as we sat here. So I guess uh, the question is, and uh, what the film poses and what... I pose to people is, what's the response? Well, how should we respond? There are a number of things you can do. You can 
picking an abortion clinic if that's your issue. Uh, you can uh, go on to be a lawyer, a doctor, or a minister who really uh, encourages the congregation to be involved in all facets of life. So we can't forget that it's God who created this world and all the professions that operate, basically, uh, it's open to Christians. Uh, Jesus is the Lord of all life. He's the Lord of the law, the Lord of uh, medicine, the Lord of plumbing, the Lord of whatever. And so it's, the field's open. I think that before uh, civil disobedience is advocated at this point in time, I think there are a lot of things that's left that we can do because we still operate in a, in a relatively free society. But the thing that we see happening, because we're on the front line in most of these cases, is that uh, there's some really ominous trends. Uh, one of the most ominous trends at this point is uh, the government's increased activity in the homes of families, so SWAT teams, armed police, breaking down doors, those kind of things, which is pretty scary. You don't read about these things in the newspaper because the secular press doesn't report them. If, if we didn't get out on the road and didn't, we have a radio, daily radio program that airs on about a 1,000 stations, if we didn't get that information out, a lot of people wouldn't know that. So these things, are, what I'm saying is things just occur. They go on, and most people don't know about them. And you really have to dig to find it out. Just, again, a, 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 again an appropriate analogy is what happened in Nazi Germany. Where were all the Christians and where they were gassing all those Jews? Great failure in society. We don't want to repeat that here. I, I, my fear is that we are repeating that. One of the most atrocious crimes in the humanity of humanities is going on right here in this country. Millions of unborn children, some of them nine months old, almost ready to be born. Some are actually suffocated in the operating room after they're born because they're botched abortion. Basically goes on unchallenged. Well, you know it's wrong. I'm sure most people agree that that's wrong here. Do we just let it happen? Do we let the right, all these cases listed on this film, do we just let those happen and say, well, we're, I'm going to go study my theology at this point. I take a different view. Any more questions or comments? Yes, sir. Sure. Speak up so everybody can hear. Uh, the Bible verse, and there's a several number of Bible verses on praying for the kings. Sure. Pray for the kings. We pray for the kings. Uh, we pray that the king will do the right thing. However, uh, prayer plus action. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Christianity is an internal experience. No doubt about that. The Holy Spirit inhabits people. But it's for an external parent, appearance. Well, what do we do with uh, Matthew 5.13? Jesus says you're to be the salt of the earth. You're to be a, 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 a curative effect on society. If Christians are really doing their job, they externalize their faith. Sure, we pray for the kings, but, you know, I think God, again, uh, requires us to take moral stands on issues and not to be wishy-washy. The world doesn't need any more wishy-washy Christians. And certainly, I don't think that God wants any more secret service Christians in a free society. Sure, if you're in an oppressive society such as China and some of the countries you see today, but uh, it, prayer... Uh, has to be, you know, be combined with some kind of positive action. And positive action, I'm talking about. What's, you know, what's a better witness than someone uh, standing up for their faith in a public school? I'll give you an example. We have a case in Missouri right now where a young fellow named Raymond Raines, a fourth grader, prayed silently over his lunch. The principal says you can't do that. Well, he felt he could. And this is you're talking about a small child. This takes a lot of guts. He prayed again, a third time. He was placed in detention three times. The last time physically accosted by the principal. He wanted to pray silently over his lunch in the public school cafeteria. Well, we're in federal court protecting his rights. 
The good thing about that, though, is this small child stand has alerted thousands, maybe millions of people across the country to a very important issue. That is repression of religious liberty. It doesn't just extend to Christians. Traditional Jews are being oppressed. We defend a lot of Jewish people. Finding the same thing. We're defending a Jewish, uh, some Jews in Aramont, New York, and that was mentioned on the, the, the film, where they merely, they couldn't travel to get to their synagogue, so they said, we'd like a synagogue in our home. The city zoned them out. Anti-Semitic activity. Zoned them out. Said, we don't want your type in our community. And they stood their ground. And it's having a tremendous effect. That case, which we've won at the lower level, will protect the rights of Christians to have home churches probably across this country. And a, and a group of Jews have done that very positively for the Christians. So the Jews are practicing Matthew 5.13 very effectively, in my opinion. Any more questions? Yes, sir, in the back. I really don't agree with that. I, I, I think uh, the question concerns about single-parent families, does it, is it different with racial groups? Well, in my opinion, it's not. I think that the family unit is an important unit no matter what race you're dealing with. And, you know, there's a, a new study that, that has discovered that 37% of children go to bed in this country uh, without a father living in that home. 37%. Um, a broken family is a broken family, and it's very, very tragic. And people often ask me, and maybe it's some of these other questions, that's a really good question there, is what can we do to really further this thing and to protect religious freedom and protect our rights to preach the gospel? When we're not asking to take over. We want just equal rights out there to speak in the marketplace. It has to start at the family. That's the very key. Whether it's black families or whatever, uh, we have to have strong families. And... Um, Without that, I mean, I have five children, and I, my children, that to me is the unit that will go out in society and preserve religious freedom. It has to start in the family. Strong churches are built with strong families. Uh, so uh, whatever you do, you know, as you go out in society, whether you're a minister, you become a lawyer, a doctor, plumber, whatever, you might baseball player, uh, build everything around the family because we're losing our families, and families under attack. Not only internally, but externally with the cases that we're seeing, with, again, with the police breaking into families for simple, what they might deem to be child abuse. And child abuse now can be mental child abuse, which can be teaching the Bible to a child. There was another question up here somewhere. I hope everyone heard that. This is absolutely true. It's happening here. I, when I spoke at uh, several of these places, I've spoken on this tour, I've had people from Eastern Europe come up to me and say, they see these, these are people that can barely speak English, but they say, we see the th same things that were happening in Eastern Europe in terms of religious freedom happening here. The repression is happening here. And uh, it's, it's, uh, the thing you have to understand, if we go back to biblical references, in Acts 5.29, when Peter says, I must obey God rather than men, he had been told not to go in the synagogue and preach the gospel, but how many people know what he did? He went back in. Uh, again, for the simple reason that he thought he had a mandate from God to preach the gospel. We have a lot of cases we deal with today that people just want to preach the Bible on the street corner, which used to be a regular occurrence. They're arrested for that today. Uh, we have a myriad of cases in the public schools where uh, children merely want to write, I love you, God, on a lunchbox and hand it to another student. This is an actual case. We have a case that, that we just got yesterday that one of my attorneys called me about from our national office. Uh, Halloween, big time of the year. All the students came to school, their little witch outfits on, or power man, or whatever. One little Christian girl dressed as an angel. And on her little star, she wrote, I love Jesus. Well, her teacher 
walked up to her when she saw that, ripped the label off of her dress and says, that's illegal in our school. We'll probably end up suing that school over that. But there you go. That's happening. That is a regular occurrence. Again, Auschwitz, the bakeries operated, the churches, people went to church, and no one cared about the Jews over there in the concentration camps. Yes, ma'am. Stand up and speak loudly because we can all hear. Should uh, Christians have a place in public school as a teacher? Yes, by all means. I encourage homeschoolers, Christian schools, to uh, have programs where you can send teachers into public schools uh, because that's a great mission field. If you're going to be a, a lawyer uh, and you go to law school, law school, secular law school is a great mission field because they're basically atheistic. That's why we have uh, student chapters on the uh, law school campuses uh, to be some salt and light there. So, Plus, at a certain point, and I see this very effectively, uh, some Christian parents send their children to uh, public schools, and we're finding that works out uh, well um, at least one way. It gives us clients. But another way, people have a good witness. Raymond Raines, a fourth grader, has alerted his entire school district, the state of Missouri and half of the United States, to the fact that Christians are being persecuted. Uh, we, have, we have all these cases with these little kids. These are kids in the elementary level who are standing up for their faith. So I, that's a good sign. There's a whole new breed of people who think that God's uh, gospel is relevant to all areas of life, and they're not going to sit down. They're not going to be told that they can't wear I love Jesus on their angel costume. So very important be salt and light. Yes, sir. Um, I don't understand. Well, read Acts 5.25, Acts 25.11. The Apostle Paul was a cost. He said, I appeal to Caesar. He went all the way up through the legal system. Paul was a lawyer. He was smart. You know, he used his legal rights. Uh, it's not a jump. I mean, there's all kinds of instances, but that's one specific instance. Uh, the thing about legal rights in this country in a free society is, number one, we're stewards. Not just of money, which I hear all the time. We're stewards of freedom. We live in a free country. It's our country to preserve. And you're not going to preserve it if you're not actively involved in defending it. We're stewards of freedom. Uh, and it's going to take some tough times. Do not forget the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament letters from where? Do we know, most of you? Jail cells. Now, why was he in jail? Because <laughs> he was a model citizen? No. He was considered a perpetrator of civil disobedience in his time. Because, again, he went into places where they said, don't go. It's illegal. Don't be here. We don't want you here. And he was violating their laws, so they put him in jail. Did he whimper and cry and run away? No, he went and took his punishment. That's another thing. When you take a stand, you have to take, you have to count the cost. Martin Luther King did that. An excellent example. He went to jail. He counted the cost. He wasn't violent. You don't have to be violent. We're against violence. Stand for, for your principles. But, you know, there's, there's all kinds of examples. John the Baptist was willing to take a stand against a, what he thought to be a sin by a government official. Disastrous results, but a great witness for mankind. I think time for one more question. Who's got a question down there? Well, I guess the question is, um, to sum it up, they didn't try to change the system. Well, you know, we don't know exactly what they did. We don't only know what the Bible recorded in specific instances. We don't know what Paul did in his spare time. But I do think that a number of them did try to change the system. I think Apostle Paul did try to change the system. He tried to be a salt and light. I don't know what you mean by changing the system, but uh, all I'm saying here today is take your stand like the Apostle Paul, appeal your case, 
And while you appeal your case, and again, we live in a, probably a different society than Apostle Paul did. We live in a free society where we have more avenues open to us. There's the law of the land, okay? The law of the land allows us to protect our constitutional rights in this country. So uh, all those avenues are open to us. I do think they did. It. Yeah, I think that if Paul could have saved Nero, he would have tried. And again, that's changing the system. Things are not going to change. Unless we change the hearts of men. And that's the first, you know, that should be your first goal, obviously. Uh, nothing's going to change uh, unless we change the hearts of men. And that means bringing people to Christ or at least setting up some kind of system where people operate in a, in a moral realm. But beyond that, I think this, there's freedom to do all kinds of things. There's a total freedom to do a lot of things that we're talking about here. Thank you very much for your attention.